Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, fans? Welcome into the Sunday, January the 14th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football on this crazy divisional weekend of the NFL playoffs on today's show. As I mentioned, the NFL has reached its final four. I will briefly wrap up the weekend that was in the NFL playoffs, and I'm going to be joined by Kevin Dern to talk all things Miami Dolphins defense. But first, before any of that, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review. Helps the podcast get boosted up to the top of the iTunes list. Helps get out to more Dolphins. Helps us continue to keep on doing this. Also, you can find me on Twitter at NFL. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all your daily written Dolphins content needs. And lastly, the other Locked On Sports podcast, including the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And before I get Kevin on here, I want to go ahead and just touch on these playoff games and talk about what a crazy Sunday that was, both in Pittsburgh as well as in Minnesota for the Jacksonville Jaguars taking down the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Minnesota Vikings' miracle victory over the New Orleans Saints. I picked the games on Thursday's show, and I took a beating on my record. I was 3-1 in the wild card round. I went 1-3 in the divisional round. I did change my mind on the Eagles prior to the Atlanta-Philadelphia kickoff, but that's already locked in. As proof, I can say that I changed it on the ESPN streak for the cash prop bet or app, whatever you call that. I changed it on there, but we're still locked in, so 1-3. And of course, the game that just wrapped up, well, I had the Saints at plus four in that game in betting. And so my one and three record was masked by the fact that I was about to be three and oh in betting. I had the under in the Atlanta and Philadelphia game, which only popped to 25 points. That was an easy, safe bet. My biggest win of the weekend was that game. And then I won the over on the Patriots and Titans with that final touchdown to Corey Davis to make it 35 to 14. The over pops on that play. That was a smaller bet. And my medium bet was the Saints plus four, taking out the Minnesota Vikings. Looked all wrapped up until Adam Thielen makes a a miracle catch, and then Stephon Diggs makes one of the most memorable plays in playoff history. The the Vikings advancing on just sheer insanity and complete, just complete pandemonium for them and their fans. And just watching that game, you know, I always like to find a way to connect it back to the Miami Dolphins and this podcast being the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Obviously, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And just thinking about how it feels to be the fan base on either side of those two coins. You know, you go back to last night, the Patriots, they, you see how spoiled that fan base is by having 12 out of 17 years in the AFC title game. They are out of that building by the third quarter when the Patriots are just pouring it on. They don't even care at this point. It's like, okay, that, that game's out of the way. Let's get to the AFC title game against the Steelers, they thought. And just that's when our season really starts. The final two games of the year is when our season starts. So they're out of the building by halftime. They don't really care. And then you have the Jaguars this morning, that big lead, giving it back. And then just taking down a team that you're supposed to lose by more than a touchdown to, how good that feeling has to be in the final eight of the NFL's playoffs. And then today's game, the Saints and the Vikings, the way the Saints fans feel after just a mind-boggling decision to go ahead and try and approach the route at the end there on Stephon Diggs for the safety rather than just kind of laying back and tackling him and ending the game. And then the feeling of jubilation from the Vikings fans for how they felt when Case Keenan makes that throw to Stephon Diggs and he takes it into the end zone and they just get the whole skull chant, everything. It's all good in Viking land tonight. Parties everywhere. Just crazy, crazy 
emotions, and I can't wait until the Dolphins get to be a part of that, and we get to experience some of that, both the highs and lows, because what football is all about, those highs and lows, and that great passion for the game. But the way I can relate this game back to what it means for the Dolphins on the field is, I mean, look at the quarterbacks that are left. You have Case Keenum, Nick Foles, Blake Bortles, and then Tom Brady. One of these guys is not like the other. Now, bring that back to the Miami Dolphins. I've been very staunch, a very staunch supporter of Ryan Tannehill and telling you guys how we can win with that guy and how we can go far with that guy. I think this really proves that point. I mean, the Vikings defense is ridiculous. The Jaguars defense is even better. The Eagles as a team are just filthy. So I know you have to get to that point on, you know, on one side of the ball, you have to get dominant in terms of if you don't have a quarterback, you have to be a great defense or whatever. But I mean, you don't have to be like historically great. If three out of the four teams are doing it, all three of these defenses are not historically great. They're all very good. But I mean, it just goes to show that you can build a complete team and win with a quarterback that's not Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. So you don't have to sell out completely just to get that. You can draft and build and build a consistent team that can play well with a quarterback in the system. So Tannehill, I think, is better than three of the four quarterbacks remaining. So that's why you tied that back into the Dolphins. And then just the great defenses. I mean, the Dolphins aren't a great defense by any stretch of the imagination. But if you get a couple of draft classes, a couple of free agents sign that make a big impact you can make a quick turnaround I mean look at the team's records this year and what they were last year the Minnesota Vikings for instance they finished eight and eight their opponent the Philadelphia Eagles seven and nine in the basement of the NFC East and then the AFC the Jacksonville Jaguars were three and 13 so all three of those teams playing on the final four weekend of the NFL here in late January with a chance to go to the Super Bowl one win away from a Super Bowl it can happen in a hurry and you can get it turned around real quickly and you can do it just by a few moves on one side of the ball. And speaking of one side of the ball, we'll be joined by my guest on the next segment here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Locked On Fins on Twitter. You can follow me at Wingfield NFL. And joining the podcast now, you can catch his recent article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, How Will Miami Approach the Defensive End Position This Offseason? The newly married, the artist formerly known as Defensive Coordinator of Perfectville, Kevin Dern. Kevin, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Travis. Glad to be uh, back in the States after the wedding. So doing great. Yeah, exciting Kevin, weekend of football. It was a great weekend, and Kevin was off in the Bahamas enjoying his honeymoon and doing that whole thing and getting out of the cold weather while we sat here uh, in the state side and and uh, and suffering with the snow and all the cold we everyone's dealing with back east and everything. But Kevin, just a little bit today on the talking about the playoff games we saw this weekend and the Viking Saints miracle is about an hour old. Did you see the way that finished, and how did you react to that game? Yeah, that was uh, that was probably the best finish of a football game I, I think I've ever seen. Um, we were actually above my parents' house, so I missed the third quarter when the Saints kind of started that rally. I think we walked in, and they, they had just pulled ahead, so I watched the end of the game. That was that was unbelievable, uh, but I, I'm really happy for uh, for Mike Zimmer, so the Vikings are my, my bandwagon team for the postseason. You're happy for Mike Zimmer. I'm happy because I picked them back in June to go to the Super Bowl, but I'm a little bit sad because I had the Saints plus four, and that's going to be on the SVP bad beat montage forever, I do believe. So losing money on that play was not a lot of fun. But Yeah, that's rough. That's neither here nor there. That's uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the Miami Dolphins. And uh, just kind of relating it back to the playoffs and the Dolphins today, with three dominant defenses forging their way to the Final Four, I kind of wanted to fire off some defensive-centric questions for you and just explain to the good people how Miami you can possibly get to that type of level in a championship defense. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. All right, let's do it here with Kevin Dern of uh, Lockdown Dolphins with us here talking about the Miami Dolphins defense, and the Dolphins have made some coaching changes here. Two guys have been fired. One has been promoted. Kevin, go ahead and talk to us about what those coaches, who those coaches are, what they did, why it's good, why it's bad, and how can the defense change, and who are some guys that can maybe can be re- or guys that can be replacements for those particular coaches. Just go ahead and riff about the coaching changes and, and all that good stuff. 
Yeah, so uh, the two guys that got the uh, the boot this weekend were Terrell Williams, the D-line coach, and Louie Narumo, um, who's been there since the Joe Philbin days. He was the secondary coach. And then uh, Durante Jones was the assistant DB's coach. He actually got hired by the Bengals' new defensive coordinator, Terrell Austin, to be their DB's coach. So those three guys are gone. Um, as far as some possible replacements, uh, I've got two names down for the D-line. Um, one of them is... I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but I think it's Chris Kachurik or Kasurik. Uh, he was with the Detroit Lions um, the past few years. I think he was a guy that Gase initially wanted to bring in when he first got hired, but Detroit blocked that interview. And then there's also Clint Hurt, um, who was on the same Bears staff with Adam Gase. Um, Chicago blocked him from interviewing uh, when Gase was first hired as well. Um, I really don't have any other ideas outside of those two, just because those are common names. As far as DB coaches go, I've really only got one, and that would be Mark Carrier. He was on the same Bengals staff as Matt Burke in 2014 and 15. Uh, he was a safeties coach. Um, he was fired after 2016. I, I don't believe he was with an NFL team this past season. Um, other than that, maybe they try and poach someone from one of these playoff teams after the season's over for them. So there's a bunch of changes coming to the Dolphins' defense, both from a schematic standpoint and from a personnel standpoint, I would imagine. So, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past, and I think one of the things you, you were looking forward to with Ndamukong Sue was his ability to play kind of that aggressive one-gap scheme. I think that the Dolphins are probably one of the more aggressive one-gap schemes in the NFL, but you told me recently that most teams in the NFL run a one-gap scheme. So just kind of explain to me what that means and if it's, you know, if the Dolphins' personnel fits that type of defense or just kind of riff on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so essentially it just means one player in the front seven is responsible for one single gap and attacking that gap. And if you know the history of the wide nine with, with Jim Schwartz, we've talked about that in the past. Essentially, it, you're just having players attack that gap and get upfield, and you're basically creating chaos by, by penetrating and getting into the D-line or getting the defensive line into the O-line and trying to reset that line of scrimmage versus a two-gap, which is sort of more the old 3-4 style stuff. You maybe saw it a little bit when um, Bill Parcells and Tony Sperano were here with the Dolphins, where you'd have your your 3-D linemen sort of reading and reacting. And, you know, for instance, your nose tackle would Jason Ferguson or Paul Solia, I would be responsible for both A-gaps. He'd basically control that center and play off it. And, and whichever side the play went to, he would attack that A-gap. Um, most teams pretty much run um, a one-gap type scheme. I think a lot of the teams, especially three, four teams, will have a single player that's responsible for two gaps. Um, I've watched some Wade Phillips stuff over the years, and usually it's their strong side inside linebacker kind of has a two-way go. Um, that's sort of how you do it. Or even some of the teams like Seattle, uh, back when they had Red Bryant, they would sort of have him as a, a two-gap player on the edge just because he was so big and could hold that point. Um, but predominantly you've kind of seen that go away and just with the, the speed and the, the quick passing game that's predominant in the NFL, you have all these defenses trying to play one gap schemes and get upfield and be aggressive and sort of limit the quarterback's time to get that ball out. Is that a, a, is that a scheme that doesn't really behoove Kiko Alonso and, and kind of where his struggles came from this year? Um, I don't think it necessarily has to do so much with the scheme. I, I thought he did a, a pretty outstanding job playing the run um, kind of up until that Baltimore game. And then his season really kind of went sideways from there. 
Um, I think more of Kiko Alonso's struggles kind of stem from being asked to do a little too much in coverage or, you know, having to cover guys like Rob Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey that he's just not athletically gifted enough to match up with in man-to-man coverage. Um, and, and kind of going back to your first question, I think that's something that um, I know you and Ian Wharton touched on it last week on one of the podcasts, but I think you'll see Miami probably try and go to more of a dime you know, package next year. I think they only ran like 12 snaps in it the whole season. It's something Matt Burke addressed before the uh, Buffalo finale. But, um, you know, we've basically heard from Joe Shad, from Barry Jackson, from Armando Salguero. They want to add that that third safety who can play. And I know that's something you've talked a lot about. I've seen you tweet about Derwin James. I think if Miami were able to add that type of player, you could, in theory, move that player, if it's Derwin James, or, or say they lucked into Minka Fitzpatrick, you could put TJ McDonald in the box as sort of a dollar linebacker that can play that, you know, Mark Barron, Dion Buchanan type spot. Um, so I think that's one change we'll see this year is Miami having more DBs on the field, maybe limiting the number of snaps that are not limiting, but cutting down the number of snaps Kiko Alonso will take in coverage. Um, I think that's another spot they may look. I, I really think they should. Uh, as Ian Wharton said, try and find a long-term replacement for Kiko Alonso just so they can get out of his contract after 2018. That answers one of my questions and then segues right into the next one. So that's perfect. So I was going to ask you who would be a guy you would target there or if that guy was on the roster. And you kind of already answered that by how you moved TJ McDonald out of the, the safety spot down to a, a dollar linebacker spot. So good stuff there. And then speaking of the coverage in the secondary and in the back seven and more specifically, you know, the, the Dolphins kind of went to, looks. it looked like more of a man scheme down the stretch, at least played more of it than they did earlier in the year. Maybe that's just what I saw. I don't know if that's confirmed by numbers or anything, but I thought I saw a lot more man coverage, especially in that Patriots game when Xavier Howard kind of had his breakout. So is that the vision with this defense? Is that kind of something they're going to gear towards in terms of who they bring in for a, a defensive backs coach? And are they going to play a lot more press man with those kind of lengthier cornerbacks? Because Chris Greer has talked time and time again about how they have a prototype at cornerback, and it's long, it's lengthy, it's like the Seattle Seahawks Legion of Boom style cornerback. Is that kind of where they're going to go, or is it going to kind of fall back into this half zone, half man type of combo? You know, at at this point, I really don't have a good answer for you. Um, I know Matt Burke came up under Jim Schwartz, and if you kind of watch some of the stuff he does with Philly, they play all kinds of different coverages. They'll play press man, they'll play... Uh, cover four, they'll play quarter, quarter, half. They'll do some off-man stuff. Um, but I think given the personnel that Miami has with these taller, longer corners, especially compared to what Schwartz has in Philadelphia, I think it would behoove them to play more press-man, especially against teams like the Patriots who have all these you know quick concepts. And if you're able to press those receivers at the line and keep their timing you know off schedule, you, you have a better chance of beating them. I think that's definitely something they'll do. And I think if you can if you can add another person, especially someone who could play sort of a deep safety role, like a center field type role, um, I think you could disguise a lot more of those looks and, and really take advantage of some of the skill sets that the Miami's uh, DBs have right now. Um, but I think that'll kind of depend on what Burke wants to do and, and who they bring in as the DB coach. Yeah, and one thing I heard in the in – the- the two games today, actually, both the Jaguars and the Vikings game, was they were talking to Jalen Ramsey about how you how the best way to handle Antonio Brown is. If you watch Antonio Brown this whole season, his whole career, and today, again, he made a couple more. I don't know if you saw that game, Kevin, but he made some ridiculous catches in that game today, yeah. just like he always yeah, does. He 
And Jalen Ramsey, they asked him, how, how do you best deal with Antonio Brown, even when he's got like a bum ankle? And he said, the only way you can do is you have to vary your looks. So you have to you have to throw different things at him and, and kind of, it's like a pitcher keeping a, a hitter off balance. And that's kind of something you have to do in terms of dealing with Antonio Brown. And then on the other side of the other game, they talked a little bit about how Mike Zimmer has given Xavier Rhodes some freedom where he can play press man or he can play off. It's up to him and there's certain coverages because he kind of has that man up you know, the mentality where he's going to take out one guy, it's up to him how to do it. So just kind of cool hearing the way they talked about their plans in terms of how you vary things and what, you know, a player that is that good can do for you. Now, speaking of cornerbacks, the Dolphins had a couple of guys that I guess took step steps forward this year in the right direction. Bobby McCain and Xavier Howard, both cornerbacks that played a lot better in year three and year two, respectively. So who do you think is a player? And I guess I could add Jordan Phillips to that mix too in terms of a defensive player that I thought played better this year than he has in the past. But who is a couple of guys on this Dolphins defense that could take a step forward in 2018 and be much better than the 2017 version of themselves? I've got two names for you, and I'll keep it in the secondary for one, and I'll go with Cordray Tankersley. Um, you probably remember I was pretty high on him when they first drafted him. And I think – the reason I would say that is because down the, the stretch, the last four games, you kind of did see some of the creative stuff that Mac, Matt Burke did, especially in that New England Monday night game. And then he kind of had that weird role for Walt Akins in the Buffalo finale. Um, I think Xavier Howard is probably the guy they're going to give the first chance to, to sort of play and have that freedom like um, Xavier Rhodes does for Minnesota. I think with that, I think if, if Cordray Tankersley can kind of learn the system I think he's got the skill set to be really good. I think probably one of the reasons Luana Rumo is gone is because of those communication issues. And I kind of go back to that first New England game when Tom Brady was, you know, hitting guys wide open. Um, I know Burke said after the game a couple of those were because Cordray Tankersley kind of had the wrong coverage or, or read the wrong person. And, and I think that'll give him an opportunity, you know, if he's allowed to play more press man to, to really improve. I think that's just kind of a natural progression from a rookie to a, a second-year player. And my other guy, I'll, I'll say, is Charles Harris. Um, he kind of came on down the stretch a little bit. I know his sack numbers weren't weren't great, but I think if he can kind of bulk up, add you know, 10, 12, 15 pounds, and kind of learn to use his length a little bit better, um, he could really, really step up. And I do think if Miami's able to kind of add – another DN to team with him to be sort of a three down player of the future. You can use Charles Harris in a number of different ways. And I think if you watch Minnesota today, I think Charles Harris could sort of be like Brian Robeson, you know, that guy who can play on the edge on first and second down. If you need him to Robeson doesn't really do it anymore just because they have Griffin and Hunter, but on third down, you can move Charles Harris all over. And he was pretty good at that down the stretch. So I'll say those two guys, uh, Charles Harris and Cordray Tankersley, would be my picks to step up next year. I love both those picks. And talking about Charles Harris, one of the things that you kind of turned me on to throughout the course of the process and, and throughout the early part of his rookie year was that he was playing the run better than we all had anticipated that he would. He was kind of one of those one-trick pony pass rush specialists or was supposed to be a pass rush specialist coming into the year, but he kind of got more time in the running game, looked pretty good, developed a couple more moves other than, other than just that spin move that he has. And then, like you said, down the stretch, playing pretty well. I think he's a big click to pick to take a big jump next year. And then Cordray Tankersley, another guy that I, <laughs> I, wasn't, I was not high on him at all throughout the process, and you kept telling me how good of a player he was. And we kind of saw that, I think, early in his career with the Dolphins when he fi- finally got that first start. I think it was the New Orleans game. And just kind of the way he reads those little like two man routes and the, the the two man game where he has you know uh, you know 
cover two with man coverage underneath or in, in a cover two himself, and he kind of can feel and, and, and read and react off of those plays. So that was kind of cool to see him play. I like both those picks, and then I hope that Rayquad McMillan, I know he didn't play this year, but that's kind of another name that I'm, I'm thinking towards in terms of getting a big boost for the Dolphins' defense in 2018. And speaking of a big boost for the defense, last question I have for you here, Kevin. Who is your top target at pick number 11 in terms of giving this defense a boost on the defensive side of the ball, as well as your favorite free agent prospect that you could, or I guess free agent target that you're going to go after this offseason as well? Man, um, well, Miami's obviously, I'll start with free agency first. Miami's obviously got some cap concerns and constraints at the moment. Um, so I don't think they would go after, you know, an Ezekiel Ansa or somebody like that. But if they really are, you know, looking to upgrade that linebacker spot, my two top targets would be to hear Whitehead from Detroit and Nigel Bradham from Philadelphia. And I'll give you a wild card of Anthony Hitchens as well. Um, but those first two guys, Whitehead and Bradham, they've got plenty of experience in the wide nine. They're both fast. They're both athletic. Um, I think more so than both Kiko Alonso and Stefan Anthony moving forward. So uh, those would be my two guys in free agency in the draft. Um, you know, I would say there's three guys. I don't think any of them would get to pick 11, but I would put them on my board. Those would be Bradley Chubb, Minka Fitzpatrick and Derwin James. Um, as of right now, I would have said Cleveland Farrell, but he's going back to school officially, which kind of stinks. Uh, so I'll go with I, I feel like this is a huge shot in the dark, but Marcus Davenport of Texas San Antonio, um, he kind of reminds me of Carlos Dunlap when Carlos Dunlap was at Florida. He's long. He's 6'6". He's 255. He looks like he's got plenty of room to add some weight. He's got a tremendous punch. Um, he's got incredible straight line speed, which is what you want to see in the wide nine. Um, so I know that's that's kind of a wild card shot right now. Um but I'll say Marcus Davenport would be my my top guy at 11, uh, just based on how I think the board would fall. Kevin's been really staunch on the idea that we're going to go defensive end with that first pick. And you, you mentioned a million times how, how big of a need that position is. And you really think about if Cam Wake, you know, if something were to happen to him where he falls off, and of course at age 37, that's obviously going to be a risk. But behind, behind him, there really isn't a whole lot there. So is that your top priority going into the offseason? Um, I guess I should just say that if one of the two between Minka Fitzpatrick or Derwin James were on the board at 11, I would be more inclined to take one of those guys over Marcus Davenport, just because I think there's some DNs you can get later in the draft. But I do think DN is a huge spot. Um, you know, obviously Cam Wake's old Andre Branch kind of broke down with injuries and didn't really play well. And you really don't have a whole lot in the pipeline. You know, if they bring back William Hayes, He's another veteran. You know, you're just kind of kicking the can down the road. So I think they have to address uh, have to address defensive end. I don't necessarily know if it, it's going to be at 11, um, but I think based on the way I've seen a lot of the boards, I would imagine that Fitzpatrick and, and James are gone. So that's why I, I'm inclined to go with DN right there for now. I would totally agree with that move. And Kevin, I have one question before I get you out of here. What is your way too early January 14th prediction for the 2018 Miami Dolphins? Ooh, way <laughs> too early. Um, I'll say 10 and 6. 10 and 6. I like it. That's a good spot to be at. That's that's reasonable, I think. He is Kevin Dern at KevinMD4 on Twitter. You can check out his recent col- column on LockedOnDolphins.com. How will Miami approach the defensive end position this offseason? Kevin, thanks a million for coming on the show, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Travis. 
Once again, that was Kevin Duran dropping some defensive knowledge for you guys here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL. And of course, the show's handle at Locked On Fins. All right, and that's going to do it for today's podcast, guys. Go ahead and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review. Check out the other Locked On Sports podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And, of course, follow the entire Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On NFL on Twitter, as well as the Facebook page, Locked On NFL. And real quick before we get out of here for today's episode, just kind of a programming note. Again, I talked about Kevin Dern's column currently up right now on LockedOnDolphins.com. What will the Dolphins do at the defensive end position this offseason? There's going to be plenty of content coming for you guys over the next couple of months. Of course, my Ryan Tannehill work, very, very extensive film study on him, as well as the other guys covering the draft, free agency, everything for you guys covered here on the Lockdown Dolphins Network. Be back tomorrow with another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.